uh, first to First Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to talk to you about how God keeps his word. You ever heard anybody say uh, uh, so-and-so keeps their promises and uh, they're, they're a man of their word and all this stuff? Okay, well, it really matters whether God keeps his words. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week, we talked about the inspiration of the Bible, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Inspiration is the way that we know that the Bible was given to us by God, not by people, not by men. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, For this cause, this is the reason also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So it matters whether these are only the words of men or if they are the words of God. We determined that last week. And evidently, all the scripture Paul was preaching was the very words of God and not the words of Paul. And that's very important to understand. Go to 2 Timothy. You're in Thessalonians. Go to the right. Find 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Second <clears throat> Timothy 3 and 16 says that all scripture was given by inspiration of God. Inspiration means God breathed it into the authors. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's beneficial. It's good for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, and, and for instruction in righteousness. This morning, oh, oh let me just... Uh, uh, give you a little bit of, of a review on, on inspiration. Inspiration simply means that God breathed his words through people under parchment. They didn't quite have paper like we do today. It's kind of a, a little tougher um, type form of, of paper and on vellum and stuff like this. And what happened was, as you, as you might have noticed in the Bible, it says that God spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. It's Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> we just read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I don't know why this is a little bit out of focus. Anyway, at least to me. And as we read last week in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, it says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what it starts off, boy, just in your face. Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 says right away, God spake all these words. And then he gave the Ten Commandments. And as he breathed out his perfect words, he gave them to Old Testament prophets and later to New Testament Jewish apostles and prophets. And those words were put down onto vellum, which is calfskin, very um, uh, long-lasting um, uh, uh, sort of a document instead of paper. In the Old Testament, you have 39 books uh, in Hebrew and Aramaic. And then the New Testament guys produced 27 books in Greek. But it was by inspiration that it was all put into this book that we have in our hand. Now, um, this week, we're going to talk about the preservation of those words. See, uh, preservation is just as important as inspiration. And I'll prove to you, to you in just a moment here. When we say preserve, it, it, it means to, to protect something, to keep it from being lost or ruined, or soiled, or broken. Um, God, uh, to preserve it means that God protects it. It keeps it fresh and good and pure 
and, and we, use, we use that word preserve still to this day. You ever heard of jam preserves? When I was younger, now there are still people who do this, and it is very healthy. Uh, it is one of the best things that you can do as a family is to learn to preserve and conserve um, uh, vegetables and fruits and jams and things. These things will last decades because of the way that they are prepared. And it's, it, they don't decay. They don't, they don't you know, get mold or things. There's a certain procedure that preserves food. And we still do that today, thankfully. Do not, do not rely only on the shopping center in the grocery store, um, uh, it, it's, it's a very healthy thing to do. I prefer this kind of food. Um, you ever heard of a forest preserve? They have made it so that no, there's no development near it. Um, it's made it so that uh, when you go in, it's as if it's always been this way. It's been preserved that way. Uh, you ever heard anybody say, oh, I just go along with the little lady just to preserve the peace? You ever heard that phrase? All right. So we use those, that phrase all the time. Um, when we're reading the Bible, okay, we're reading words that are very old, on documents that are very old. Uh, and when, when they find these documents, they find, they, they, you know, it's, it's, it's something like, how is it still here? How is it that we still have the Word of God? Job lived... And the book of Job was written 4,000 years ago when Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was nearly 1,500 years before Christ. That's 3,500 years ago. David, when he wrote the Psalms, that was 3,000 years ago. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they were writing, that was 2,000. We're reading very old words. How are they still here? Can you imagine somebody standing up and saying, I got good news and bad news. All right, you ready? <clears throat> God wanted to talk to us today. He wanted to give us some answers, to give us some hope, to give us faith. And so he caused a book to be written uh, called the Bible. It's miraculously written, inspired by God. That's the good news. But the bad news is God didn't have the power to preserve his word Therefore, we don't know what it said. It's been lost and we're on our own. Would you imagine somebody actually saying that? And yet, I'm going to be quite frank with you, a lot of Christians believe that and a lot of preachers believe that. You see, miraculous inspiration without miraculous preservation is of no value. If God inspired it but can't keep it, what good is it? So how can we know that what we're reading is the very same as what God spoke and wrote long ago? Go to Psalm 12, one of the most hated portions of Scripture. You'd be surprised at how many people hate this Scripture and will do everything to try to prove that it doesn't say what it says. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. <clears throat> Psalm 12 and verse 6. Would you read it with me out loud? It's verse 6 and 7 when you found it there. We're going to read Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7 together. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. 
Now, <clears throat> does the Bible imply that the Catholic Church is going to preserve the Bible for us? That some monks and, and hermits are going to preserve them? No. God alone promises to miraculously preserve his words that he spoke and that he would preserve them forever. His, he has promised that his words will, uh, uh, from the time that it was being written, they would be preserved for how long? Forever. <clears throat> from the generation that it would be written and then out forever. That's the miracle of preservation. Uh, it's also called the doctrine of preservation. You've got to learn this. The doctrine of preservation teaches that God has kept and will keep his word intact through all time and he'll keep it untouched, undamaged, and complete. It also teaches that God has actually preserved his word from the moment he gave it until this present day. And it, will, it actually will outlive us and will outlive this entire universe. So let's, let's get into this thing and let's learn that Jesus promised to preserve whatever he said. Let's go to, and we'll go to Matthew chapter 24, where our memory verse is found, Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. Matthew 24, 29. Now watch these words, and we're going to come back and go through it here, but verse 29 down to verse 34. Immediately after the, what's the word? Tribulation. Oh, that's a big word. It's a very important word to learn about, a time frame he's speaking about. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Who's that? That's Jesus. That's the second coming of Jesus. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with, great, with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. I mean, he's using an illustration when you start to see uh, plants growing and you're in spring. You start to know summer's coming. Good. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that the end is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. So Jesus was not just talking to people and giving his opinions. He's not, I tell you what, there are hundreds of thousands of people who give their opinion called podcasts. Have you noticed? There are literally, one, one service that I subscribe to, uh, has got 300,000 podcasts. People are uploading every day, every week, new opinions and new thoughts. Well, Jesus wasn't giving his opinion. He was giving a warning. He was talking about the future. And it's a, he said a time is coming called the tribulation. It's not here yet, but we are very near. I remember people have said, oh, we're in the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation. It's, everything's just coming together, folks. Uh, things are rapidly winding up here as we approach the end of this age. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, this, is, this is not conspiracy uh, news, fake news or whatever. Everything that was thought was conspiracy a year ago is now coming to pass. Have you noticed that? All the things that the politicians said would never happen are happening. 
the dictatorial edicts are just rolling off their tongue like it has always been planned. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> anyway, the, uh, where we're at right now is at the end of the age. And you can count on the fact that one of these days the sun is not going to be bright anymore. The sun will go dark. The moon will be invisible. All the space junk that's up there and the asteroids and stars and things are going to start falling to the earth. And uh, soon, out of all of that, at the very end, the Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to blaze across the heavens. It will be awesome. <clears throat> Look back in verse 27, still in Matthew 24, 27, he says this, For as the lightning, lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So this, this he's saying something's going to happen in the future where I'm coming back, Jesus says, and it will terrify the entire world. This is, this is what's, hap what's, what's leading up. Right now, the world is afraid of a virus, and they're, they're afraid of, of uh, some people are afraid of um, uh, all of the, the freedoms we're losing. That's not what we should worry about. There is somebody coming back, and he's bringing the wrath of God. That's what we worry about. Um, there will be, uh, every eye will see it. As a matter of fact, we won't go there, but Revelation 1-7 says, when he comes back, the whole world will see him come, and it will be judgment day. <coughs> Oops, sorry. Um, but in, in, um, in verse 35 is where we start here, verse 35, 24-35. This is our key. It says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but mark my words, he says, they shall not pass away. Jesus says something absolutely amazing. He says that everything that you see, every place, every mountain, every star, every galaxy is going to disappear. But what I'm telling you and everything I've said will remain. That is amazing. Who says stuff like that unless he's God? All right? <clears throat> Now, there are four big things that God preserves. Four big things that God keeps around. First of all, I need you to go to Nehemiah. Say, where's Nehemiah? <clears throat> it's before Psalms. And there are four things that God preserves right now. He's preserving them right now. If you find Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, then Job. So Nehemiah chapter 9. In verse 6, <clears throat> Nehemiah 9, 6. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. I like that word Lord. He means that's, that's the guy who's in charge. He's the sovereign God. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, with everything that you've created, the earth and all things that are in, the seas and all that are in. And thou, what's the next word say? Thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worship thee. <clears throat> Four things that God preserves is the universe. First thing is, this universe is being held together by God. I'll quote to you Colossians 1.17. It says, talking about he, Jesus, is before all things. He's, he's above all things. He's He's more important than all things. And by him, not only did he create everything, but all things consist. They are held together. So Jesus continually preserves and governs this universe. That's good news. This universe is not 
like a train uh, running out of control without a driver. No, this universe it has got a Lord over it. It's got a sovereign God. <clears throat> and the only reason why this universe is not flying apart and not falling apart, uh, uh, not disintegrating, is because God is holding it together. It's, it's actually just as true. The only reason why you are still breathing is because God is holding you together. If your car started this morning, it's because God is holding it together. So there is the, the universe that he made is being held together by God. That's an amazing thing. Think about the universe. This is just one galaxy. Think about it. You are there. Right? <laughs> You're on a tiny little dot. And here we are. And everything is just complex. It is vast. It is unfathomable. And God is holding it all together. That's a lot of work. That shows something I'm going to lead to in just a few minutes. Look what God can do. He preserves this universe and holds it together. Um, let's see. I've got uh, evolution has ruined people's minds because they've, they've lost the ability to trust anything about God because they just think that this all is an accident. So who needs God? But when you start to see this shouldn't be here and it shouldn't. Um, uh, it proves that there's a massive, awesome God. Uh, the second thing that he keeps around are the people that he has called. Not only the universe he has made, but the people he has called. Go to Jeremiah <clears throat> chapter 30. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Jews. One of the most hated people groups in the world. The Assyrian Empire tried to destroy the nation of Israel back in 700 B.C., the Babylonian Empire tried again in 600 B.C. The Greek Empire tried in 300 B.C. The Romans in 70 A.D. destroyed Jerusalem. And by 117, the persecution was so intense, they drove every last Jew out of what they call now Palestine, out of their area. Then throughout the Crusades, the Catholic Church attempted, as they attempted to take over Jerusalem, they forcibly attempted to convert and because a lot of them did convert, they then slaughtered the Jews all over, the Europe, all over Europe and the Middle East. They slaughtered tens of thousands of them. Since 1066, the Muslims have sought the destruction of the Jewish people as a whole. England ran all the Jews out of its nation from 1290 all the way up to the 1500s. For over 200 years, it was illegal to be a Jew in England. In 1396, 100,000 Jews were expelled from France and were forced to starve to death. In Spain, um, in the 1400s, they attempted to exterminate them during the Inquisition. During World War I and World War II, Europe drove almost all of the Jews, once again out of Europe, onto death ships that were never allowed to dock anywhere in the world, except in one place where they now are, what they called Palestine. Hitler slaughtered six million of them, and yet they're still here. Does that impress you? No other people group continues to survive and exist like they do. Why? Because God promised to preserve his people. Go to Jeremiah 30, <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 30, in verse 11. And this does, is not because they're a good people, or a righteous people, or a godly people. They're just his people. 
You ever had that uncle or aunt or brother or sister that you went, oh, I don't want to claim them? Ever been like that? Well, they're still your family, aren't they? Well, listen to what God says about the Jews. Jeremiah 30 and verse 11. <clears throat> For I am with thee, saith the Lord. Now he's saying to the rebellious and idolatrous nation of Israel, he says, God says, I am with you, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. What's the promise? I will never get rid of you. I may get rid of uh, the Babylonians. I will maybe get rid of the Greeks. I will maybe uh, uh, get rid of and, and um, do away with the Romans. I, but I will never do away with you. He goes on. He says, but I will correct thee, and he will. That's called chastising. And the same is true with us. When we get in trouble with God, he doesn't say, oh, I'm fed up with you, let better, I'm throwing you away. He doesn't do that. He chastens us. Yet I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. I have to punish you. Verse, go to chapter 31 now in verse 35. 31, 35. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, 31, 35 which giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before thee, wait a minute, the sun rising and shining is doing it by the commandment of God. If those ordinances depart from me, like I, I, I can't keep them doing it, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me for how long? So if I lose control of the sun and it doesn't obey me anymore, then will Israel stop being a nation before me. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and they can't measure it. Back in uh, the 1930s, <clears throat> up until a guy named Edwin Hubble started taking pictures with a huge telescope, polymer telescope in California, before he started taking pictures of some deep sky objects, they thought that our galaxy was all there was to this universe. Just, and they thought that there was about maybe 25, 30 million at that time of stars in our galaxy. And they said, that's all there are. And they said, see, we've counted all of them. Until Edwin Hubble took a picture of a little fuzzy spot and he saw that it was another galaxy. And then he started looking at the rest of the picture and he saw dozens more out there. Then they started taking pictures of little dark spots in the sky where there wasn't any stars and they saw it was filled with galaxies and the stars just kept going and kept going. Does the Bible say this? Look what he says. Uh, verse 37. Um, is it verse 37? Yeah. If heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then I also will cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Is that not a good promise? You see, God does not make an agreement with Israel based on them and upon their abilities to keep righteousness and keep the law. He says, I'm keeping you as a nation forever. Those people God has preserved. <clears throat> he also preserves his word. Matthew 24, 35, you don't need to go there. What is our memory verse? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He promises to preserve his word. That's why I pick up the Bible and I know I'm listening to God. Uh, and then the best part, here's the best part. Go to John chapter 10. <clears throat> John 10. 
John 10, 27. Ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice. Notice the word of God. What's a sign that you're a sheep? You're listening to the word of God. That you love the Bible, that you like, you, you know you struggle with it, but you want it. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give unto them what? What kind of life? Not just abundant life. I know a lot of people talk about, I've got abundant life. Amen. But he gives eternal life. So if I've got eternal life, that means it doesn't end. Anyway, uh, and they shall, and then he makes sure you understand what he means. They shall never, what? Perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Go to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. I love this verse. 1 Peter 1, 4. We are so blessed. We've been invited and brought into the family of God by the grace of God. Verse 3. Blessed be God. Oh, I just, I want to take that. Blessed be God. Verse 3. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. I got born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I've been brought to an inheritance incorruptible. You ever been given something that's kind of old and fragile? Um, uh, uh, I've seen these very old grandfather clocks. And they're... You, you, if, if, if you wound them up, they would break. And so you don't touch it. You know what I'm saying? It's so delicate. But the, our inheritance, I always wanted to inherit a big grandfather clock. But here, if I ever did, I would have to put a wall around it because I want grandkids in the house. I don't care about the clock. I care about grandkids. And if they come in, it's going to get broken. So, But it, my inheritance from Jesus Christ is incorruptible, unbreakable. It's not fragile. It says incorruptible and undefiled. And the faith is not away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5. For you who are kept, what's the word? Preserved by the power of your faith. Is that what it says? No. You are kept by the what? By the power of God. Through faith, that's how you got in, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, I'm telling you, um, I get over here. Uh, the souls of sinners that he has saved is the best part of what he keeps. Uh, Jude, go a little bit more to the right just before Revelation. Jude chapter 1 and verse 1. Jude, my grandson's name. Jude 1 verse 1. Listen to Jude. We're going to look at two scriptures here. Jude 1 verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and what? Do you understand the word preserved now? I am preserved, not by a church, not by my parents, not by my own good works. I'm preserved by Jesus Christ, in, in Jesus Christ, and I'm even called. I have a purpose in my life. One more, look at verse 24. Jude 1, there's only one chapter, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you 
Wouldn't you like to be that way now? <laughs> I'd love to be faultless. Present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our... That's, that, that's who does it, folks. Our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and for and ever. Amen. Every believer is secure and safe because our souls are kept by the power of who? Did you just read that? Then don't argue with anybody who believes you can lose it. They're not going to listen to you. Just start believing it and go, brother, I'm not, brother, sister, I'm not worried about losing it. I'm worried about people getting it. That's what a Christian does. I don't live my life so that I'm afraid of I might lose it, I might lose it. Did I lose it yesterday? That would be a wasted life. You know what I do? I live so others can get it. Amen? Because God preserves the universe. God preserves his, his own people, the Jews. He preserves the words he spoke, and he preserves me. So next time you see somebody getting saved, you realize God's saving them and preserving them and calling them from that moment. He will not let them go. He will never leave or forsake them. Now let's look at the process of preserving because it's kind of important. Preservation, as I say, is God preserving his words through a lot of time, through a thousand years. And as we read, Psalm 12 says, the words of the Lord are pure words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt, and here's our word, preserve them from this generation and forever. So every time it was written from that generation on, it was preserved. So in Old Testament prophets would write down what God spoke. And uh, uh, as they wrote it down, they were what's called original autograph copies. You ever gotten somebody says, can I get your autograph? I could write, I could write, um, you know, um, somebody's handwriting be called forgery and say I got I got so-and-so's handwriting I got their their um, uh, signature but it was I, I actually I faked it whereas if I went up to and I got an autograph it's from their own hand so these are called original handwritten books by Moses by Job by David and uh, this is what's inspiration where God spoke and they wrote it down then, they didn't just have one copy and everybody went to some museum to see it. No, they made copies of it. And then they made more copies of it. And copies of copies of copies as they handed it out. By the way, go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. In verse 18. Deuteronomy 11, 18, God all the time told the, the Jews to make copies of the scriptures and, and put it around their home. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 18. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and I want you to bind them for a sign upon your hand. Now that's very... We'd say something is, is at hand. I want you to have my word always around, even if you want to put a little reminder of Scripture. We have pockets today, so we carry, you know, Scripture verses with us, whatever. But he goes on, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, which means this, they would always be visible by your eyes. They would be in front of you. The Scripture should be everywhere. Go on, verse 19, and ye shall teach them to your children. Pass it on speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, 
when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. Now, we normally get upset when kids crayon on side of walls. But God actually said, you need to put my scriptures on your walls, on your doorposts. So as you're leaving the house, you look up and you see some scripture that reminds you God is there. They're making copies of it. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Paul has just finished writing this small book, letter, to the church at Colossae, to the Christians there. And he says to them in verse 16, Colossians 4, 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read in the church of the Laodiceans and that she likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Wait a minute, what? So there were copies of the New Testament spreading around. One church would have a copy of Colossians. Another one would have a copy, the, evidently it was the book of Ephesians, to so the Ephesians that the Laodiceans were reading. And Paul said, make sure you get a copy of this over to them and get a copy of their copy of Ephesians over here. Make copies. So as they did this, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the New Testament, apostles and prophets, they first were speaking, and they would write handwritten letters. Paul's saying, as he wrote this letter to the Colossians, he says, make sure you make a copy and that they get a copy. And what's funny is, then they would make a copy and give it to someone else. And so those copies, those, those original letters and books, would be copied, and then copies of copies, into even into hundreds of other languages of the day. They ended up where we do not have the originals. I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. What we have are some very old documents that go back to 100 BC, and, we have, and there's 70,000 of those, and there's 5,220 manuscripts from 79 all the way to 1100 AD that are incredibly amazing. They are what our King James Bible was translated from. We have those today, we don't have these. Does that make sense? I'll tell you why in just a moment. Because those words should have disappeared a long, long time ago. Uh, first of all, because they easily get worn out. If I hand something to you and say make a copy of this and you're putting your hands all over it and you're making copies and then you're handing somebody else, after a while it gets ripped. After a while, it gets soiled. After a while, the moisture in the air affects it so that it begins to decay and it begins to mold. And so the originals got worn out. That's not a problem. It's not that you have to have the originals. I'd love to have the original. But you know what would happen if we did have the originals? We'd probably worship them. Oh, this has the very handwriting of Paul. You know, I have a copy. Uh, I have a book about the a book of Kells. I'm going to show you next week. And uh, people, when they look at the Book of Kells up in Trinity College, do you know what they look at? Not the text. The Book of Kells has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It has the glorious gospel. And yet everybody looks at the Book of Kells for the doodling along the side of all of the text. They look at the illumination is what it's called. And they miss the message. Don't look at the handwriting. Don't look at the doodles on the page. Read the text. So that's why it's very important that we don't have the original because they would be worshipped instead of read. Uh, second reason why we don't have those original manuscripts is because 
as the disciples were preaching the gospel, they were run out of town. They were persecuted. As you read the book of Acts, they were fleeing for their lives. And as they fled, you're carrying everything you can. And sometimes things are getting dropped. Some things are getting lost. As you go from place to place, they're living outside in the weather. They have no home. Christians who were fleeing from city to city, just things get lost. Later on in time, as people were trying to hold on to Greek and Hebrew, and especially Hebrew, you weren't allowed to have a Hebrew Bible. It's really strange. The Jews were not allowed to have the Torah. And so the Catholic Church, first and foremost, spent well over 200 years burning every piece of Scripture they could ever find. didn't matter what it was. If it had Bible on it, it was going into the fire. So if there ever was an original copy of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was either falling apart because of use, it was lost because of people running, or because of um, uh, being burnt by the Catholic Church. Fourth reason, uh, let me just come back to this guy, he's kind of cute. Um, uh, with all of that said, because they can't find the original, you get guys like this who are called a, a historian or a Bible critic, they believe that we do not have the same words as what Paul wrote and what Moses wrote. Hmm. They believe that the word of God existed only when the letters in the books were originally written. So when those pages were lost, so was God's word. You know what that makes, God? A liar. So how do we know, how do we know that what we're reading is the same as what God spoke and wrote so long ago. Well, let me review. God promised he would keep his words, didn't he? he may, somehow, that's still in the Bible. As much evidence as I can give you, you're still going to have to have a little bit of faith, enough to believe what God said instead of what some Bible critic says. Uh, Jesus said they would never disappear. Did he say that? Heaven and earth's going to fade away, going to uh, pass away, but my words will always be around, he said. They may be hard to find. They might be in a language you can't read because it's Greek and Hebrew, but they're there, folks. He promised he always would. Um, I'm going to say this. The Jewish scribes were amazing at their job. You ever read about Ezra? We don't have time to go there. Ezra chapter 7 says, uh, Ezra, the priest, was a scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandment of the Lord. He was a scribe. You ever hear the word scribble? A scribe didn't mean a scribbler. <laughs> scribe meant a copyist. And the Jewish scribes were amazing at their job. I mean, you know what a Roman numeral is. All right, now the Romans, their letters meant numbers. Okay, so Roman numeral I was actually a one. Two I's was a two. So on and so forth and so forth. All right, well, they actually got that from a long time ago where the Hebrew language had numbers. Aleph was one. Beth, two. Gimel, three. Daleth, four. He Five, Vav, six, Zion, on, on, all the way down to 400 because of 22 letters. That was their numerical value of all of those letters. So guess what they did when they made a copy? And I, this is an actual scan of a copy that I've got of chapter 42 in Genesis. So as your man is writing, handwriting, and this is evidently handwritten, as they wrote across from right to left, and they were making copies, and when they finished the entire document, or di entire strip of, of vellum, 
as they finished that, they would then go along and count up all of the letters. Like we would say, A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, da, da. So they would add it up, da, 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 and they'd come up with, oh, 426. Then they add up the next line. Oh, that one's 399. Then they would add up the next line. Oh, that's 382. And the next line, 404. Next line, 501. Adding it all the way up down to the bottom. And then they would, uh, going across, and they would add up that number. And when they added up all, it's called, um, uh, um, I can't remember all of a sudden what I can't. Let me just get to my point. After they added it all up, they already had the, the original they were copying from. And if they missed it by one, they had to destroy it. Now, there were some times where it was so rare that they actually would come back through and they would correct it where they would find the letter that they missed. And so you find some documents where there's a little addition where they changed it back to what it should be. But most of the time, they would destroy the entire strip because they did not want to have one error on the page. Computers do this today, and I cannot remember the name of it, where when you talk on the phone and when you send a text, it uses error correcting. And they do that. They add up all of the letters of your original message and make sure the message that was sent adds up to the same. The computer doesn't know what you're saying. It, not yet. But it knows how to add up and tell has an error been introduced, maybe by weather or whatever. And this is what these guys did. They were so tedious and so thorough. But we don't rely on them because they're still human. We don't worry about what uh, people do or what scribes do or even churches do because go to 2 Corinthians. Go to the left, 2 Corinthians. Even in that day, and up till today, there are people who have nefarious plans for the Bible. Second Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, chapter two. Oh, I'm in Second Corinthians. I don't know why I'm doing this wrong. Second Corinthians, chapter two, in verse seventeen. I hope I'm right. It's First Corinthians. I. Hate it when I do that. First Corinthians two seventeen. So keep you awake. No. It's Second Corinthians. Why? I just looked over there. I got you going back and forth. What am I thinking? Uh, da, da, da. Where am I wrong? Second Corinthians two seventeen. Oh, I keep looking at chapter 117. I'm sorry. It befuddled me. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not as many which, what's the next word? The word of God. So Paul says even in his day there were people who would take portions of Scripture that look like that. Now this is in Hebrew. But they would take the word of God and they on purpose would leave out words and on purpose would change letters and on purpose would delete entire chapters and books out of the Bible. And so I don't rely on scholarship and on, on all of these uh, scribes and things. I appreciate the work they went through. It shows that they honored the Word of God. They cared about it, but I don't trust them. I trust God. Um, yeah, oh, by the way, this is, uh, this is how a modern Bible should look. Where This is actually the Jeffersonian Bible. Thomas Jefferson in America did not believe in any miracles, so he went to his Bible with a little knife, and he cut out all the portions of Scripture that he didn't like. 
and he was a president of the United States. Anyway, <clears throat> that's what modern Bibles are. They are edited and they are corrected by people who have corrupted the Bible. Don't trust people. I don't care how smart they may be or how big their computers are. So we trust that God has kept his promise to oversee his words to this day. If they're his words, he's going to watch over them even until this day as we read in Psalm 12. So there are quickly some simple proofs that God preserves his word and keeps his promises. Number one, the existence of the Jew. We already learned that. Jeremiah 30, 11 says, I will not, like I have done away with all the other nations, I will never do away with you. Secondly, the existence of the entire universe. Um, every cosmologist, these are fancy words for scientists who study astronomy. Every cosmologist has concluded that this universe should not exist. The last 10 years have been an absolute thrill for me because I've always believed the Bible and I love astronomy, and I know that these guys are eggheads. They worship their own shoe size. But these guys don't know what they're talking about, and yet they said something so profound. Are you listening? That this universe should not exist. It defies all of reason and logic that the universe is still here and that it's working. It works so well. And yet this big, complex, and vast universe is no problem for God, is it? I'll show you another one. Um, the fact that over 70,000 ancient Hebrew manuscripts, just like the one I've got in there, still exists, and they're all over the world. As much as they have been burned, and they have been torn, and, and thrown away, they still exist. Uh, the fact that 5,220 Greek portions of scripture exist. And let me just tell you, what they do is they lay them all out on big tables and they read every one of them and they cross-reference and they find out, well, that one's wacko. That one's got an extra book added on. We won't listen, look at this one. And there's a science to it. But you've got 5,220 that became the King James Bible. They all overlap. If you could lay them all time, they all become uh, uh, the words of God just by pieces. Um, like if somebody tore up a letter and, and, um, and threw it in the, uh, the trash, and you pulled it up, and you put it all back together again. That's kind of what they did, because all of these things are spread out everywhere, and they spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years putting all this stuff back together again and saying, look, this has been there, and it actually has. It's, it's just, I'll talk to you about next week about tra uh, translations and perversions and show how this works. It's just big. The D Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1946. It's one of the greatest discoveries about how your King James Bible is the Word of God. Because they found a couple of books in there, they found several hundred. They actually found a copy of every book of the Old Testament except one, except Esther. And every one of those books, when you add up all of the, um, it's called a checksum, that was my word there. When you add up all of the letters and when you compare it with the Hebrew manuscripts they have today, these are from 2,000 years ago. This is from 100 BC. When they add it up, it's not one word changed. The words are the same. It is absolutely breathtaking. There are a few letters that are changed, but it's like if you spell Gavin, G-A-V-Y-N versus G-A-V-I-N. Still get the same guy, don't we? Amen. Dead Sea Scrolls are absolutely breathtaking. To, to, as they sprung them out, they found out their Hebrew Bible runs back to 100 B.C. It even goes back before that, but at least they have proof and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What am I showing you? 
all of them are impossible, that they still happened. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God can do anything. Did he keep his promise that he would not, when he died, that it would not be the end and that we'd lose our Savior? We did not lose our Savior, did we? Nope, he got up again. And we cannot lose our Bible any more than God can lose the Jews, any more than God can just accidentally let this universe fly apart. Why it matters. Two big points. We need every word of God. Actually, three things. Go to Matthew 4.4. 4. Matthew 4.4. 4. Matthew 4.4. 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by... There we are. We need to have every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. We don't need a best guess. We need to know who God is and what he thinks and how to live and be saved. Secondly, why it matters? Because faith only comes by having the word of God. Nobody has right faith unless they have, unless they have a Bible. Does that make sense? And if you've got a, if you've got a religious book and it's just a, a book of religious sayings, you will die and go to hell. You need to believe and have faith from the word of God. Without the word of God, you have no faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the? God, God calls his own words perfect. He says they are pure, they are perfect, over and over and over. That means if they are, they have to stay that way, somehow. Now, if God miraculously inspired and gave us his words and yet cannot keep his words, he's a failure and cannot be trusted with our souls. Why would I follow a God who can't keep his word? But if this book is still the truth, did not Jesus say thy word is truth? Doesn't just contain truth, but is truth. If this book is still the truth, then we better do the following. Number one, we need to believe with all our hearts. I'll just read it for you. Jesus said to his disciples, because they doubted that he was alive, and he says, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses... In Genesis, and through all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why did you just believe it that I preserved it? You can believe it. You need to search his pages. If you need an answer, it's in that book. And then do it. James 1.22, our main verse, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And enjoy it. I wish I could take you through Romans chapter 4. It says, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. This, this thing, Abraham actually lived and enjoyed living by faith. So should we. But it starts with getting born again. That book will change your life. And you know this. I'm talking to the choir. But let's sing it. Let's sing that we have God's word by his inspiration, by his preservation, and you've got to make it yours. Let's sing the wonderful words of life. Stand with me. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life Let me more of their beauty see Wonderful words of life Words of life and beauty Teach me faith and duty Beautiful words, 
wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. And they are, Christ the blessed one gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner lives to the loving call, wonderful words of life. Worlds are freely given, wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. I hope you do all this and get an idea just how miraculous the book is you hold in your hand. That's the whole purpose of this month, that, that we have the Word of God. The question is, does it have us? Next week, I'm going to have next door open, and you're going to be able to see some, some things that maybe you've never handled, you never, never knew, known. Some of these charts are on the wall in there. It's going to be awesome. You'll be able to be curated, curated through some of the Bible things that nobody seems to know these days. When I first got saved, I read every book I could on the Bible translation issue, Greek and Hebrew, because I need to know, is this God's word, or am I just following a cunningly devised fable? Find out it's true. Father, bless your word to our hearts and to our lives. God, don't let it just be in our heads. You said it needs to be in our hearts. It needs to be in our homes. It needs to be in our country, God. And the only reason why our country is so sterile of the gospel is because we've put it aside and not made it part of our lives. I pray that we would shine brightly today in this world. Bless as we go home. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.